This morning, we're gonna talk about freedom. So if your Bibles turn with me to John chapter eight. Freedom, freedom's defined as the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. It's defined as the state of being physically unrestricted and able to move easily. This is how we define freedom from the dictionary. We talk about freedom quite a bit in the American culture. And in, the, in less than a month, we have the right, the privilege, and the freedom to vote and elect, elect our next president. It's a tremendous responsibility that we have, uh, one that people spent their lives on and some died for. It's one of the perks that we have of living in an independent country. We have achieved self-rule as a country. But in the Bible, it talks about when a person becomes a Christian, that they relinquish self-rule. There's a term that's used throughout the New Testament of what a Christian is, is doulos, a servant. To become a, a Christian, we submit to someone else. We relinquish self-rule. But as countries, we do not. And not all countries have this freedom. And, and for years, in the countries that don't have this freedom, churches in those nations where there is no freedom, the church was passion and passionate for freedom. Why? Well, I believe because Christianity believes in truth. We see that in the scripture. In this passage this morning, in the Gospel of John, tells us that without truth, there is no freedom. It's truth that sets you free. And the Christian understanding of truth is that it comes from God. It comes from the Bible. And it cannot be legislated by people. It cannot be controlled by the media. It can't be dismissed by a dictator. Society, no, no matter how hard it tries, cannot redefine truth. Therefore, the church can never get their truth from the climate or the culture or the society in which they are. Christians do not get their truth from a permissive society or oppressive society. And you realize real quickly when you're in the Northwest that we live in a permissive society, right? We do not get our truth from the, the Northwest. Because as Christians, we have the ability that liberals in our cities and neighborhoods do not have. We have the ability to judge the culture with a standard of truth that does not change and is not tarnished. And it doesn't come from our culture. This truth comes from God, and without truth, there's no real freedom. In this election year, there's been many attempts to search for truth. The media, the political parties, the pundits, the commentators, the bloggers, the newspapers, all searching. And searching, their main objective, I believe, is freedom. Freedom from tyranny, freedom from worry, freedom from war, freedom from want, freedom from ignorance, freedom from secrets. And the world believes that in their search for truth and then freedom, that they will then have control once they have freedom. But as we see in the passage this morning, this world and the people in it are out of control. Jesus says they're actually slaves. They're in bondage. And there's been a number of good politicians in history, but at the same time, there are slaves. They are slaves to their own desires. 
Their lust for money, for acclaim, for extravagance, for pomp, for power, for self-indulgence, for the win. They're, they're slaves. They're controlled by their own ambitions, their own lust, their own ego, their own pride. They're not free, but they think they are. And it seems that everybody knows what freedom is, but not everyone knows what freedom feels like. The world would define the feeling of freedom as completeness, personal greatness, to be under control, to be full of joy or fulfillment, doing the things that we really want to do. And, and Christianity might tend to, to agree with some of that in the culture, what freedom feels like. It feels like fulfillment. It, it feels like joy, doing the things that you've always wanted to mostly, most deeply do. But the Bible and its view of freedom has a certain person in view regarding why we have freedom and what we use that freedom for. And Christianity departs from the culture when it comes to saying how we get freedom. Personal freedom, that moral freedom, a spiritual freedom underneath all of the political freedom that this new cycle wants to talk about. And this morning, you're gonna see, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, as I bring out some of the, the three areas that hinder the search for truth and freedom in John chapter eight. We're gonna look at the last half of John chapter eight. We're gonna look at verses 31 through the end of the chapter, verse 59. As we walk through, I'm gonna highlight some of these, these areas, three things that hinder the search for freedom. Before I do, I'm going to pray and ask God to bless our time this morning. God, we thank you again that we can come together and to worship you as the body of Christ here in Edgewood. We can come and sing and, and to give and to hear your word, and now we come to hear your word preached, and we ask, God, that you would be glorified in this. Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. Lead us and guide us to understand your word, to apply your word. As we look at these verses, may we understand what freedom is, what it means to be free in the spiritual sense. Give us understanding this morning, God, we, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't been here in the last few weeks, we are in John 8, 31. But how did we get to verse 31? Well, I wanna bring you up to speed quickly. The chapter begins with a story of a woman caught in adultery, and we covered that a few weeks ago, and Jesus' discussion with the leaders as they're trying to trap Jesus. And then it moves into verse 12 there, with Jesus' pronouncement that he and he alone is the light of the world. And the festival is when this is happening, at the end of it, where they're celebrating, they're looking forward towards the one who would come and take away the sin of the world, who would be the eternal light. And Jesus declares that it is he. But the Pharisees don't believe him because they are blinded by darkness. And Jesus warns them again of their impending doom, but they don't believe him. Jesus warns them of what will happen if they don't believe in him and if they reject the truth. And then the pronouncement is made. They will die in their sins. Jesus says that he would be lifted up, that they would see him on the cross, and then they would know, then they would understand of all that he said was true. And in verse 30, it ends. It's a section that I covered last week that's stating that some believed in him. 
And it leads to the next section this morning in John 8. And I wanna look at verses 31 and 32 to begin. John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And some believed, says the words of Jesus from the prior section, and then the belief teaches, Jesus now teaches them. And he says salvation only comes to those that continue to believe, that, that persevere in the faith. And Jesus says this plainly in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He is saying that true disciples hold to his teaching. And Jesus isn't concerned about whether you walked forward on a Sunday morning or have a certificate signed by the pastor. He is clear, disciple of Jesus is one who abides in his teaching. Salvation is not only determined by a one-time decision, but also a lifelong pursuit of living for Jesus. And there may be seasons of ineffectiveness or valleys of disobedience, but a follower of Jesus abides in his word, abides in his teaching. And why is that? It's because salvation changes you, right? We use the term conversion. That means it's changed. And so if you're changed through salvation, you're different. And there may be periods of years and decades of growth for each and individual believers, but Jesus is clear. It's those that abide in his teaching, those that continue in following him. And then furthermore, there's a promise given to us in verse 32. It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And as Christ's disciple, we are free. You're truly free. Friends, do you know this freedom? When you, when you hear verse 32, does it sound like a completely different world to you, unknown? Is the idea of freedom completely foreign to you? You know, this, this verse speaks of so many things that are paramount to the Christian faith. It speaks of justification, that we're free from the guilt of our sins and the judgment of a holy God. It speaks of sanctification, that Christ frees us day by day by sin's power in our lives. And as a Christian, because of Christ, he says we're free. And we, we sing about that here. We, we rejoice in that, right? In our songs, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. We rejoice in the freedom that we have as believers. And Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. And church, I want to encourage you, we can't wait to just sing about this, to talk about this on Sundays. We can't just go the whole week and then just wait for Sunday to rejoice in this. If we're free from condemnation, if we're free from guilt and the fear and the penalty and the power of sin, we need to fill our lives with this testimony, with this rejoicing of that freedom of what God has done for us. It should fill our homes. It should fill our minds. Jesus frees us from our natural darkness. He frees us from the religion of work and the, and the lie of earning our way to heaven. He frees us from this. He frees us from the wrong way of thinking of how we get to heaven. And in this passage in particular of, of because of birth, 
or a family origin. Jesus exposes this, and it doesn't go well for the Jews. They were tracking with him, and, and it gets to this point, and their pride-drenched hearts spill over, and we have verse 33. First point, bondage hinders the search for freedom. Bondage hinders the search for freedom. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Bondage hinders the search for freedom. The Jews clearly believed in themselves when they needed to believe in Jesus. How many of you have heard this false gospel? Maybe even this week. That you need to believe in yourself. That all you need in life is some positive thinking. That your problems are just a result of poor thinking. You need to be positive. Be positive, they preach to you. You don't need to believe that. You need to believe in Jesus. The Jews say, well, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. And I begin to wonder if these Jews had horrible history teachers. Right? Did you wonder that when you read it? Really? Open up the Old Testament and read. I mean, you read in Exodus and work your way forward one after one, empire after empire, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome, and even now. They're blind. They're in bondage. And Jesus begins in verse 34 with a mind-blowing statement for the people. He says, truly, truly, meaning, listen up. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, this verse I recognize would probably take a month to fully unpack, but for the next few minutes, I'm going to try. We need to understand very simply that everyone sins. Every single human on planet Earth sins. There isn't anyone exempt from this. We're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is clear, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The human race is in bondage of sin, which hinders the search for truth and freedom. And terrible as other forms of slavery and bondage are, and they are, they affect the person's body and freedom of action, the horrific slavery and bondage that still happens in our world today, horrific. But sin's bondage is one that permeates the very heart, including the will and the affections. And Jesus is declaring that the lost sinner's true master is sin and is ruled by sin. You know, the world doesn't agree with this. In fact, the world comes up with a different definition. 
the idea that people are born good and they do bad things. Sometimes we'll call it sin, sometimes we won't. And this is direct opposition of what the scriptures teach. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That is why you do not know a single person who does not sin. You've never met one. And sin cannot be accounted for because of mere environment or bad training. Because as a baby leaves the womb, they begin to sin. David says in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. At the moment of conception, we are corrupted by sin. It's why Paul says in Romans, there is none righteous. No, not one. So we may boast of our freedom, but the scriptures are clear that we're all born into this world as slaves to sin. An English preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, writes, the world is in unspeakable slavery. Oh, the power of this darkness. Why do we keep on doing things that we know are wrong? Why do we do things that we know hurt us? Why do we do these things though we know something of their consequences? And the answer is, the ruling power of sin. We're not only in bondage of sin because of our birth, but also because of the very sins that we perform. When we're tempted to dabble in sin, we are sure that we can handle it, even forsake it at any point. We believe that we're masters and the sin is a servant. But we quickly learn that the opposite is true. But by then it's too late. This is why sin always takes you further than we'd like to go or intended to go and holds us longer than we ever thought. And the reason is because we, we sin and we open ourselves up to slavery, this bondage that's there from birth and continues on, this bondage is slavery to the power inside of us. There may be kinds of freedom that we can make for ourselves, but, but not this one. That's Jesus' point. Sin enslaves us in two ways. First, it enslaves us and holds us in bondage by supplying compelling desires. What do, what do I mean by that? It, sin makes anything look more desirable than Jesus. Folks, that's what sin is. Desiring something above Jesus and then acting on it. When you sin, you desire something other than Jesus Christ. And the second way that sin enslaves us is that it eventually damns us. Unless Jesus intervenes, it will lead to hell. And this, I call this slavery because there are those that think desiring something other than Jesus is perfectly fine for them. In fact, they're giddy about it. They don't have any problem with desiring things other than Jesus Christ. Do you know a few of those people in your life? And so them, they think that's true freedom. But they wouldn't say that if they understood where the sin would take them. The result of sin. And there's many in our world today that want to downplay sin. They make excuses up. They cover it up. They just plain ignore it whether it's in their lives personally 
or in the lives of the politicians that are on their ticket. And I have to speak bluntly to you, church, I'm grieved this week. Grieved that as Christians, we would defend, endorse sin. All out of fear. Fear of of some other sinner. Fear out of what could possibly happen. We're Christians. Are we held in God's hand? Are we ruled by the sovereignty of God? Or are we ruled by our fear? I'm grieved by that. God doesn't feel that way about sin. Are you curious about what God thinks of sin? Look at the cross. If you ever confused what God thinks of sin, think of what happened on the cross. He, he turned away from the son as your sin and my sin was heaped on his son's back. Don't ever think that sin is not serious. We should not downplay the sin of others and we should not downplay our own sin. I want to show you one reason why. There's a great verse in the book of Numbers that shows us something of the power of sin. A fascinating verse, Numbers 32, 23. I'm sure you've heard of it. Numbers 32, 23. It says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. You've probably heard that before. It doesn't say be sure the world will find you out. It doesn't say, be sure others will find you out. No, it says, your sin will find you out. Have you ever wondered what that means? Your sins have a life of their own. You're lying in bed, trying to fall asleep, and suddenly the panorama of foolishness, the deception, the meanness, the dishonesty, all the things that you try to justify and forget are there. Your sins, the Bible says, have a life of their own. They come. They'll get you. They'll probe you. They'll laugh at you. And your conscience is there bearing witness of who you are and what you've done. When you decide to sin and live in sin and practice sin, continually dwelling in sin, your conscience then becomes your enemy. It gives sin, your sins, life. Not only is guilt there, but guilt is immediate and there's vitality to it. And the replay keeps going. The voices, the laughter, your sins, they come and they find you out and they come after you. And you can't run away. Your sins come and they find you. And the only way out of this is freedom. To be free. And true freedom, as Jesus says, is only found in him alone. And you get freedom. Not only freedom for your past, but freedom for your present because of Jesus Christ. 
You know, one idea from the world is, is this, that freedom, freedom is doing what you really want to do. You know, we think of this as kids as you're getting older, right? So you get to the point where you're out of high school and you go to college and you think, finally, I have freedom to be in charge of my life and I can do what I really want to do. Sorry to burst your bubble, that's not freedom. Really, the, the biblical way of freedom, freedom is doing what you are meant to do, what you're designed to do. And in our sin-marred world, what we're meant to do is now lost. The desires in this world are, are, are crazy and all over the place. Originally, we were built for God to worship him, but instead, we've rebelled and now worship everything other than God. And so when the world says freedom is is doing what you really want to do, please know that they're lying to you. Jesus says you're meant to worship. You're built that way. And in this world, there'll be lots of things that will be paraded in front of you to worship. Don't be fooled by it. Worship God. I was challenged last week, sitting in the Sunday school class upstairs for the parenting through Ted Tripp, Shepherding a Child's Heart, and challenged by that. I want to share that challenge with you this morning. And just for a moment, parents, realize your kids are bombarded with things to worship constantly, day in and day out. And your job as a mom and dad is for you to be so captivated with your Savior in such a worshipful attitude towards him that your kids not only hear it because you're preaching and talking about scripture, you're reading the Bible, but they see it. It's evidenced before them. They see your worship. They see where your priorities lie. And they want to do the same thing. I mean, they copy us in every other way. We want them to copy us this way. They see you worship God. And so your job this week, moms and dads and everyone else here, you're not the hook either is to live so captivated to God that the world will see it, that they notice it, they, they understand that you worship not yourself, not your work, not your stuff, but you worship God. It impacts you. And the only way we can do this as Christians is because we're free. Freedom marks God's real children. And yes, we still struggle with sin, but we're free from the penalty and from the power. And someday we're gonna be free from the presence of sin, amen? And every Christian here this morning shares this glorious truth that you've been freed from sin. But to my non-Christian friend that's here this morning, you might pity us as Christians. Your mind might get to the point and think, all oh, those poor rule keepers, Can I tell you the Bible presents a different reality? We as Christians that come here every week, we're actually the free ones. We, we come to worship freely out of joy and love for our Savior, not out of guilt, not out of fear. We're the free ones. But you're a slave to your sin. The reality is, is that you're addicted to sin. You cannot 
kick sin on your own. You cannot diminish the power and effect of sin in your life. It sometimes let you think that you're in control, but from the passage here this morning, you're not in control. You're not free because you're not in Jesus. And sin fools us because it lets you stop doing one sin and then replace it with another sin. So you stop the sin of laziness because you're unwilling to work and earn a living, but now you get a job, a good job, and you work, and you work, and you work to earn more, to have more. And so you begin now the sin of self-love because all you want to do is work. You want to look better. You want to have more stuff. And sin has that way of deceiving us. Satan doesn't care which sin it is as long as you're distracted from God and are living your life away from God. So my non-Christian friends that are here this morning, this is, this is bondage. This is what it looks like. This whole discussion here, again, is pointed to the, the Jewish audience, and they're, they're lost on what Jesus is saying. And at verse 38, they, they bristle at the thought that they would have another father, they say. They say in verse 38, Abraham was our father. And Jesus said to them, if, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. So when they, when they claimed Abraham was their father, Jesus says Abraham would never do the things that you're doing. Abraham's children would be glad to see the day of Jesus Christ. They didn't have the spirit of Abraham or his faith. And they're thrown off by Jesus' response. They're so blind and captured their sin that they couldn't see the Messiah as he was standing right in front of them. They didn't expect it because they weren't looking for it. They found themselves as guardians of Abraham's teachings and beliefs. They were the ones who would teach others, to lead others. And here they are getting completely schooled by Jesus because of their bondage. You know, this is this festival that has just finished was the national celebration of looking forward to the coming Messiah. And here he is right before him, and they miss it. And Jesus says to them now, you're nothing like Abraham's descendants because they would long for my arrival. So that leads to the second point here. Depravity hinders the search for freedom. Depravity hinders the search for freedom. Look at verse 41, one of the, some of those basic teaching in the Bible. Verse 41, you're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you, tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. And Jesus is teaching them about their own identity. He's teaching us. And before Christ, those that are not in Christ. 
and they're showing themselves to not be God's children, but actually children of the devil. Now, Jesus' language here is harsh, and we, we cannot misunderstand it. Jesus is showing them their depravity. They exemplify the, de- the devil's desire to kill and destroy Jesus. They want to end his ministry. And Satan is the father of lies, and he's continued to lie to these leaders, deceiving them into thinking that Jesus is the liar. And Jesus calls them out and exposes what's going on in their heart. And in verse 46, he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Can you prove me guilty, he says. There's crickets. Silence. Can you find any fault in me? No response. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Why? You know, verse 46 is a great question. Look at it. Stare at verse 46. Stare at it in your Bible there. Turn that over in your mind. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? How would you answer that question? We need to answer that question. Our unbelieving friends need to answer this question. But even going back to verse 45, probably one of the most saddest verses in all the Bible. He says, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. He says, if I, if I feed you lies, you would believe it. If I, if I led you astray, you would be willing to follow and be happy because of it. I mean, do you see their lostness here? Does it affect you? We see it in our world today. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. We gather up the, the courage to share the gospel with a coworker or a friend, and they reject. It's bothering. It should affect us. We also need to realize that when they reject the gospel, they reject Jesus Christ. We should mourn over this. Jesus says in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. They are unable to understand what Jesus is saying because they're not of God. They think that they're God's children because they're born of Abraham, but they're wrong. All of God's children are adopted. It's true. All of God's children are adopted. We're adopted into the family. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The last thing I want you to see is rejection hinders the search for freedom. Rejection hinders the search for freedom. Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You know, they, they use the Samaritans to despise people from the north to mock Jesus. They don't understand Jesus. They reject Jesus. And if we follow Jesus in our lives, we will be misunderstood and we will be slandered the same way Jesus was. Jesus knew slander. He was slandered. And we need to remind ourselves in the midst of it, in the difficulty of it, that there's another world coming. A world where all wrong will be set right. Jesus did that. He reminded people. He knew this. So take heart as you faithfully proclaim the gospel and you are slandered. Jesus understands that and there's another world coming. He also taught them that God seeks glory for Jesus. In verse 51, it gives us a promise of life for those that keep his word. Christians are promised life. Not that they will never die physically, but that they'll not be punished when that comes. As Christians will escape that death because we have real life. Well, we, we don't have to endure that because we're free. Christ died for us. Do you believe in Christ? I don't want you to leave this place today without knowing Christ, without having him in your life, without understanding freedom. If you have questions, I, I want you to come find me or one of the pastors or the other elders. Talk to us. You know, as the service ends, as pastors and elders, we're gonna be at the door to greet you as you leave, but we wanna be there to talk, to share the hope that we have. We would love to sit down and answer any questions you have from the word. It's part of our, our job, our, our joy as pastors and elders to serve in this way. You know, these Jews here in this, these verses, remaining verses, they felt as though Jesus was somehow putting Abraham and the prophets down, somehow mocking them. They don't understand because for them, they all died. They don't, they don't get what Jesus is saying here. And they respond in verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And as us approaching these verses, we, we struggle because we think, how could Abraham know the future? But for them, they have no issue with this because they knew that God would be talking with Abraham and sharing with him the plan for the Redeemer and that Abraham would know this, that Abraham would believe this. They had no problem with that. What they had a problem with is the fact that Jesus is declaring that he is the one that Abraham looked forward to. He was declaring himself as the Messiah, the Redeemer. That's what made him upset. They couldn't believe that Jesus was anything more than just a man. 
And so they proceed to, to mock him. And Jesus declares that God the Father glorifies Jesus. He's saying that God is all about Jesus. Who are you all about? Who are you all about? Is it a sports team? Is it a company? Your work? Is it your identity? Is it your friends? Is it your home? What consumes your mind? God is all about Jesus. Abraham, he was all about Jesus, looking forward to that. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. But they thought he was over the top and they mock him. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? You can imagine them laughing as they say this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They're pushed now to the brink of their unbelief in Jesus. And Jesus' words in verse 58 are monumental. Before Abraham was, I am. And those five words, Jesus declares to them in authority that he is God. He is God. And they believe that he's now being blasphemous. And what do they do in verse 59? They pick up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. John 1.11 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They pick up stones to end Jesus. They want Jesus dead. And soon they will kill him. Very soon they will arrest him, they will charge him with a crime and they'll look to have him hung on a cross. But this day, this day was not circled on God's calendar for Jesus to die. He's still in control. And instead, Jesus hides himself and goes out of the temple. This will not be the day that he dies. But there will be a day coming shortly in the Gospel of John where Jesus will die. Not because someone takes his life, but because he gives it willingly. The celebration ends here at the end of chapter 8. The celebration of following the light, looking for the light. And as Jesus stands and preaches to them behind, with the candle opera behind them in the temple, they reject the light. So many in our world are looking for freedom. There are still wars being fought for the purpose of freedom. And those that fight this fight do so for freedom, not only that, but for their identity. They, they want to know who they are now. What about your own identity? Who are you? 
Furthermore, whose child are you? You will never know who you are until you know who Jesus is. And our purpose of Edgewood Bible Church is that you find out who the Savior is and that you live for him and not for yourself. You'll never know who you are until you find out who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word that challenges my heart, my life. And I pray that it challenges our church family. They would, we would read it and study it and memorize it and apply it to our lives. They would be faithful. God, I pray for those that are seated here this morning and they have rejected you. They have rejected your truth. I pray that you would bring conviction upon their heart. That you would bring understanding to them. That they would see and know and understand your word. And that you would choose to use us to bring it to them. To discuss it and share with them. I pray for the the world of unbelievers that surround this church building, those that we go to work with and live next door to. And I pray that we are faithful in our gospel proclamation this week. God, help us to not get so consumed with the task of the day that we forget of you and we forget to share the hope we have. Father, give us opportunities. Help us to be aware of those opportunities and to be bold in that. Continue to grow us, God. Convict us, change us. It's all for your honor and glory. And now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.